So James, welcome. Thank you, Linda. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey over the past seven years? Yes, well, in 2009, I received a diagnosis of melanoma. And the melanoma was actually in my lymphatic system. And I, the way I found it was I, I felt a lymph node in my groin was swollen. And when I first sort of noticed it, I, I guess I wasn't too concerned about it. And then, but I quickly uh, acted on it. And over the next ensuing weeks, maybe four or five weeks, I was diagnosed with um, melanoma. And can you tell us what melanoma is? I think a lot of people don't really understand. They think it's just a skin cancer and you get the skin cancer cut off and there's, and that it's not a problem, but it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I th there's not a lot of... I think melanoma is one of the um, diagnoses out there that isn't probably broadly known. I think that there's a lot of other diagnoses that are given more uh, focus in the media. And like breast cancer and yes, prostate cancer. Yes, and I think what's happening at the moment is is that melanoma, because we live in Australia and we have the sun exposure that we do have, and I think because we have a lot of um, immigrants from places like England and Scotland and Wales. The Northern Hemisphere where yes. they're not exposed to the sun. So yes, much. and I think what's happening is, is that there's a mixture of... Um, vulnerability uh, to um, the environment and in that vulnerability we're seeing a lot of a lot more diagnosis of melanoma um, so in Australia yeah we have a higher rate of melanoma yes but the focus is on the Sun and I don't know if that's exactly where the focus should be yes I'd like to know where you think the focus should be where tell me that now. all right well I think that it's a holistic focus. And I think if the skin is reactive to the sun, it's coming from the internal um, milieu of, of the environment within the body. Uh, there's something very important just under the skin, and that is called the lymphatic system. And some of you, or you may be Linda, and your listeners might be familiar with things like skin brushing. And basically what that does is that stimulates the lymphatic flow underneath the skin. So it encourages the body to start cleaning itself. And I think what's happening with, with a mixture of the environment, uh, the chemical exposure in the environment, the, chemi uh, the chemical exposure in our foods and our, and our drinking water, and uh, stress plays a very big role as well because that stress changes chemistry in the body. And so I think the sun... Um, totally you know in agreement that obviously too much exposure creates damage within the body but I think there's more to it than that okay so you think things like diet and, and cortisol levels from stress and things like that affect how well the lymphatics are moving and therefore how susceptible people are to getting melanoma I think for sure I don't think there's any doubt about that we were on the same yoga retreat, actually, when you discovered the groin lump and we went to the doctor. That's right. The doctor was, Well, the doctor, I, I think what happens is when you've got lumps and bumps, people 
uh, begin to get a, a little bit cautious about what they say. And I understood that um, obviously I needed to do something about the bump and or, or, or the lump. Um, but I think going through that process of finding out what is actually going on can be quite um, an ordeal, really. Yeah, it can be quite stressful. Because I remember the doctor was sort of alarmed and sort of yes. freaked us out a bit. Well, let's just talk about that before we go any further, because this is one of one of the things that I've really realised over my journey, is that uh, the the way that people actually communicate with someone who's in this situation. Uh, can be very disturbing. And I think, I mean, I've been in the health and fitness industry and dealt with people on a personal level. You have to be careful about how you speak and what language, language you use because in uh, the Indigenous tribes or in the Aboriginal Indigenous tribes, uh, they talked about something called pointing the bone. And uh, basically... If someone had gone against the tribe's standards or ethics or morals, whatever you want to call them, um, they were taken and that they had the bone pointed at them and, and eventually that person would wander off and die. So there's no doubt that the information out there relative to understanding the consequences of language and putting people into boxes is a very negative um, process. So that's really important. And I think what I experienced early on was just negative on top of negative on top of negative. And it makes you powerless. And that's one of my key things about my experience is that we all can participate. It's just finding how, how, how you can do that. And I think that's a really important message. Participation is the key. But don't let anyone say that, you know, you can't do anything. You can do what, there's so many things that you can do. And that's what I've really discovered. And so can you just tell us again exactly what melanoma is? Like make the distinction between well, it, a, a it, skin cancer that gets cut off and people don't have to worry about Well, what happens is, is the it usually comes through the uh, surface of the skin. And we what happens when you go to get checked uh, for the possibility of melanoma, what they do is they look at your moles and the markings on your skin, basically. So that is the, that is what they feel is the starting point. And uh, they, those moles can mutate. And that's when you look for a change in colour, a change in texture, a change in shape of the mole. And even you get moles appearing that you never, have never seen before. So once they... Um, the idea is, is that the uh, cancer activates within the mole and then what it will do is it will start to dig into the body and this is where it can get into what they, they say it can get into the blood, it can get into the um, lymphatic system. Now in my case they call it an occult uh, melanoma and that is a situation where the mole may have become active and then the immune system actually does take care of it. But in, the, in, in that time lapse, it's allowed it to actually invade the body. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether that's the actual case. We know that melanoma can appear in behind the eye. It can appear underneath your foot, on the sole of your foot. It can appear 
you know, at the back of your ear. Um, so that would suggest it's not caused by the sun. Well, this is the point. This this, this is the issue. Um, you know, it's easy to say it's an occult melanoma, but is it? Has it just appeared in the lymphatic system? Is it that the lymphatic system isn't functioning properly? So, and an occult melanoma, about 10% of melanoma patients have that where the primary um, disappears, like the body disappear, uh, deals with that. So there's no evidence of what they call the primary, but you do have the secondary, which would be the lump in the groin or the lump in the lymph nodes. That's right. That's right. You, 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 you're, you're getting the symptom in the system rather than on the surface of the body. Now, what will happen is someone might have a melanoma on the surface of their body. They usually cut, cut the mole out and they'll take a margin with that and they'll have that tested, see what the margin is. Um, if, if, there's no, if there's nothing around that margin, they know that they've got uh, the issue. But this is another thing. Um, actually, it's in the news right now. There's a young uh, AFL player who's been re-diagnosed and um, with melanoma, and he had a mole removed a couple of years ago. So I think if if anyone mentions melanoma to anyone, it's a sign that you need to do something. Uh, you really need to get active and start looking at how you can um, organise your body so your body's working more efficiently. And what can you do when you say get active? What do people... Well, I think you've got to sit back and go, well, how can I improve what I'm putting into my body? Um, how can I clean my body? How can I alleviate the stress that I'm under? How can I improve my relationships? Um, what you'll find is, is that if someone is diagnosed with anything really, any type of metabolic disease, they will have been getting symptoms long before that diagnosis. But we don't correlate those symptoms because the medical system itself, the allopathic system itself, is only interested in symptoms. And they often see the symptoms in isolation. Now, for instance, for me, when I look back at my um, life and look back at my health profile, I can see where I had the bubbling uh, possibility of disease. Uh, because I was getting different types of things along the way. Um, what kind of things? Well, let's say, let's take it right back. Let's go back to when I was a young lad. And I had my tonsils removed when I was about um, five years old or four years old. Now, you don't want to have your tonsils removed because your tonsils are part of your lymphatic system and part of your immune system. Point blank. If you're having tonsillitis like I was, uh, what's happening is, is that you're being aggravated by something and you need to clean that up. Now, for instance, my parents were smokers. Turns out when I got some genomic testing done um, relative to my nutritional needs, uh, this is a few years ago now, it turned out that I was actually allergic to cigarette smoke. And I was also allergic to uh, petrol fumes and it's funny, when you look back, and I look back on my life, I, I can really relate to that. because so I don't like, you know, I can really sense that when I get around those environments. So you think your tonsils were just reacting, the lymphatic system was coping with the, the, the smoke and the petrol fumes, and that was misread uh, as they needed to be cut out? Well, that's right. I don't know about the petrol fumes then, but, but 
what what it shows is if you get some testing done and you get to understand how, what's going on in your body, you can really make some good decisions about what you need to do. But of course, I'm talking about I'm 53 now, so I'm talking you know this is in the 1960s, so um, that's a long time ago. So, um, can you tell us what genomic testing is? Yeah, well, what they do is they take a part of your, they take a sample of your DNA. And uh, what they're focused on is the nutritional uh, by the nutritional uh, profile of your body, what foods suit you. And they also look at all your genes and see where the inherent weaknesses might be, uh, what you might be prone to. And how do you get that done? Uh, we, it, it's available here in Australia. Uh, it's actually done in a lab in Victoria. And uh, I can give you some details on that. I haven't got those details with me now. Okay, sure. But um, I can certainly forward those details to you. All right. And, and what you get out of that is that you get a profile of where your genes are at. Um, and important subjects such as how does your uh, body detox? Um, are your detox pathways um, in, uh, inhibited in any way? So there's, there's lots of information that you can get from it. Like food, for instance... My ideal diet, they came back with that it's a Mediterranean diet. That would be my ideal diet. So lots of fresh fruit and veggies, uh, a little bit of, you know, meat here and there, um, etc. But uh, diet's another program. Um, that's a totally different subject. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I acknowledge that, yes, maybe that's my genetic profile, um, but I think to be strategic about what I need to do for my body, I need to be a little bit more strategic than just, you know. Well, because you're, you know, you're sort of in crisis mode, really dealing with something that's. Well, I have been. It's it's ongoing. It's just ongoing at the moment. Um, but uh, I guess one of the things for me is that I've had a little, um, as little inter intervention medically as possible, and I think that's allowing my body to continue to. Um, do the things that I, I'm hoping it's doing, you know, well, number one would be cleaning. And I mean, the word is detoxification, but some people have an issue with that word. Some people don't believe in that. Um, but I can, I mean, I've got, you know, I, I, I believe in it. I think it, it's very relevant in this situation. So can you just go back and tell us, um, after your diagnosis, tell us your journey sort of the the medical journey like what happened well the medically what happened was and what the prognosis was that they gave you originally yeah. and yes well medically the way to treat melanoma medically at the moment is the first point of call is surgery so they want to cut it out so after i got diagnosed that's what was scheduled now i only had a period of maybe six weeks or eight weeks in the back of my mind, I knew that there was some issues with uh, nutrition, but it's very hard to gather information quickly like that, especially when you're under duress. And the other thing that happens is you get other people's opinions about what should be done. There's a lot of things that come into it, and I know if anyone's listening to this in the same situation, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you have to make decisions quickly yes. under a lot of pressure. And... Yes, and you have to take into account, like I've got two children, you know, you, things start to get sticky. Um, uh, and um, at the time, um, 
when you're in a situation where you've got family, you've got friends, you've got partners, uh, you've got a partner, what you, you know, there's a lot of stuff comes into it because people get very frightened. Um, but I think the biggest message right here and now I can say is don't get, don't panic because that can have a devastating effect on your body. So, um, yeah, so that's what happened. And then eventually, I, uh, after about eight weeks, I think, I had an operation and they removed my lymph nodes. In your groin. In my groin. Uh, they took them all. Uh, there was only a melanoma in three of them. So they took about 14 to 17 of them. So um, that's a bummer, Linda, because you need your lymphatic system and your lymphatic system is part of your immune system. So when I go back to, you know, when I was tracing, giving you an idea of tracing back, I had my tonsils removed, which is part of my immune system, and then I had my appendix removed when I was about 16. Is that another part of your lymphatic system? Yes, an immune system. And then now I've had these lymph nodes removed. That's another part of my immune system. So I'm getting disturbances in my immunity and then that that is concerning and really the only the issues that i've got right now at this very point in time are all to do with that operation yes so that's um that's 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 a bummer so do you think you made the wrong well i don't know better off to not have the operation well i'm just not sure but you need to have a lot of knowledge before you make a a, a, um you, you need to have good exposure to alternatives and you need to have knowledge, ingrained knowledge about what you need to do. And that is very difficult to find in this environment. So I had the operation and then what I did was I basically laid low for the next maybe six to, to 12 months. And I was having regular scans and everything was okay. Did you make any other changes in well, your Well, I did, stuff? I did. Uh, I, I, I changed what how I was eating. Um, I uh, how were you eating? Well, I was a, I, I, I was a seafood eater, so I saw it and ate it. <laughs> and I seem to remember you had a fondness for Ninish tarts. Yes, well, that is a very big part of my profile. <laughs> oh, I miss those Ninish tarts, and sometimes I dream about them. <laughs> But uh, look, I had a sweet tooth and um, I was feeding all those little naughty bacteria in my gut, I think. And um, I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't eating enough fruit and vegetables. Um, I was doing the blokey diet, you know, just... Uh, tin tuna. Well, tin tuna, uh, but, but, but not, not eating enough food that is coming from... Uh, the light from from the sun, you know, fresh produce, organic produce. I, I mean, I just I, I was dab I was dabbling in organics, but this is the very interesting thing. It took something like that diagnosis to actually kick me into gear. Which, um, if I can just say, if you think you need to kick into gear, don't wait for a diagnosis, because what it does, it just adds more pressure to what you're trying to do. So, yeah, so that's really, um, that's really Okay, that's really so the happened. first 12 months you laid low. I, I laid low. I went up to Queensland and I just hung out up there for a while and 
I didn't do any work. I was just sort of hanging around and um, hanging out with my sister up there and resting. Yeah, just resting. And um, I was I was getting my diet organised, and my diet wasn't too bad. Um, I, I was eating chicken and and I was eating fish. Uh, I didn't I wasn't eating red red meat, and I was doing um, I was doing some grains, brown rice, and different things. And um, I was eating more veggies, and I was eating cooked veggies and uh, a little bit of fruit. Um, so. I, I improved it dramatically, I thought, from what it was, for sure. I was much more conscious about what I was putting in my mouth. And the other thing I did, Linda, which was a really great thing, is I stopped drinking because I was a drinker. And I gave up drinking, which I, I really, it's probably one of the great things I've, greatest things I've done apart from having my children. Were you a big drinker? Well, I was, I, I was drinking and I wasn't really drinking very consciously. I, I, it was more of a habitual thing for me. And anyone that has a drink will know that there's also a very big emotional component to drinking. And I was using it as an emotional crutch, really. But the diagnosis was enough to push me out of that. And I, and I love that. I love being uh, sober. And um, I think it's probably one of the great byproducts of the experience. So I wasn't drinking. I was improved my diet. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And then I came back to Sydney. I took a job with a rugby club and did some uh, consultancy work with um, a, a rugby franchise. And then I started working, um, uh, working sort of more consistently and having a bit more pressure on me. And, and you know, my diet started to slip away a little bit. You know, I'm just not as, uh, didn't have the time that I had before. And then what I got was, uh, it was about two years, two and a half years later, I got a re-diagnosis uh, of, um, you know, the uh, melanoma. And it had just gone in a little bit further into my body, into my iliac nodes, which are just basically in the pelvic bowl. So, um, yeah, so that was really disappointing. Uh, that, that hit hard and... Um, I had to, you know, I had to take some sort of action and I had uh, I had quite a bit of pressure on me at that stage. It was very stressful, actually. And because you, you, you're genuinely afraid that you are going to die, which, as I've discussed with you before, I, I'm not afraid to die. I, I think it's more the pathway of how you get there. And, and that was always concerning to me. So... What I did was I, I got I, I went to the doctor and you know they've they sort of told me what their angle was and which was well basically they would remove more of my body and just at the time I was reading an article about this guy who had had melanoma and basically they he was they were having a fundraiser for him and he, he'd had something like I, I would. Well, from what I can remember, at least a dozen operations relative to the melanoma. So they call it cutting and chasing. So they cut and chase the melanoma through the body. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want my body, you know, things taken out. and Everything you get taken out is, is, is a compromise on the way your body functions. 
So I didn't do what they wanted me to do. And I ended up, uh, after a couple of months, I ended up going to Mexico. And I went to a place called uh, the Gerson Clinic over there. And Max Gerson was a medical doctor. And he worked with people, uh, he commenced working with cancer patients in the, in the 1920s. So it's not like they were just making stuff up over the last year. But he, he, he used a specific protocol to actually deal with cancer. And actually, they were very uh, positive about melanoma. They, they felt that they had good results with melanoma. So I, went, I took my son with me and we went to Mexico, put our sombreros on and off, off you went. Off we went. And there, someone did some fundraising to help you do that. Well, I've got was two. That the football club? Yeah, I've got two very special friends. Uh, one is uh, Jennifer um, Harback, and the other one is uh, Mark Bakewell. And Jennifer and Mark got their heads together and decided that they were going to raise funds to give me some options if I if I wanted them. And uh, I was working with Mark at the time. He's a rugby coach, and I was. Uh, heading up his strength and conditioning for his club. And uh, he's a very close friend of mine, and he was deeply affected by my situation. So we had a fundraiser, and we, we, we raised uh, quite a bit of money, and that allowed me then to go overseas and seek some more opinions. And uh, I spent two weeks at Gerson, learned how to prepare my food and, and use the therapy. Uh, there's a lot of supplements in the therapy as well. But for those of you who maybe not familiar with Gerson, it's a um, it's a vegetarian diet, and it's uh, it's a diet which actually um, incorporates a lot of fresh juices. So I was doing thirteen fresh juices a day. Wow! Yeah, it was like I was running a little shop. Yeah. For myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, and um, and the other thing they use is the coffee enema. And I was doing five of those a day. So basically, I would work, walk from the kitchen to the toilet <laughs> and then back to the kitchen. So um, that, that were interesting days. That was a tough time. Um, but I did get some realisations out of that, not, not only about the food and, and learning about you know, supplementation and looking after your body. But I think when you're in that situation, there's a, there, there's an, a very strong emotional component to it. And what I learned from Gerson was that I, that I really, I, I was loathing myself. That's what I learned from Gerson. So you discovered that you were full of self-loathing, self-hatred. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what I did was is that Gerson helped me work through that, um, being on that diet. Um, well, when you're walking from the kitchen to the toilet and, uh, and my life became very isolated, uh, and I was working really hard. And in retrospect, I shouldn't have been working that hard because they advise you never to do Gerson by yourself. But well, wasn't your son with you? Uh, no, this is when I returned and I was doing it out of my home oh, right. when okay. I was at home. Okay. Yeah. Now, if people helped me, they'd come and do a few juices and help me out and, you know, care for me, which was great. But the bulk of the work I did myself and physically it took its toll on me. But what happened was is that when you're under the pump like that, uh, it's like you're sort of stuck in a corner. And you've got the pressure of, you know, the medical side wanting you to do something and then you're going off in this other direction to try and clean your body, to try and, you know, uh, boost the nutritional 
a value of your, of your body. And uh, yeah, so it, it really came to a crux. And um, I remember one day I did something. I, I was, I was uh, doing something and I knocked something over and I made a big mess and I just went off my head, you know. And that's when I, that's when I realised what I was doing. So um, because we can be very hard on ourselves, and I just want to say to all the folk out there that if you're driving yourself, you've got to be very careful what your driver is. And uh, uh, there are common traits in the in the uh, cancer profile, and these are acknowledged by all sorts of different sources relative to personality, emotional status. And what are those traits? Well, usually. Usually cancer people are really nice people. And the thing about being nice is, is that you tend to absorb a lot of stuff from other people, from other circumstances. And what it does is it, it really loads you emotionally. Um, often we're perfectionists and we have a real drive to do things right. But there's often you can have consequences to that drive. Now, one of the big things that I've learned about that, just on the by and by, is that when you load your adrenal glands, which comes through stress, what you do is you produce hormones which aren't so great for the function of your body. Like cortisol. Cortisol. And what happens is that your, your adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys. They're like a jockey on a horse. And what we need to do is we need to keep our kidneys functioning because, say, in Eastern medicine, the kidney is the source of energy. So once you're starting to deplete your energy and your cellular energy, you're starting to get into dangerous territory. So you're making yourself vulnerable. You are. Um, so if you're, if there's anything to do with finance, if there's anything to do with relationship, uh, if there's anything to do with your security, you know these are these are threatening things to to the human being. So the sort of the fear of flight, the things that trigger the fear of flight response, yeah. antagonize the kidneys. Absolutely. Well, any any activation of the adrenals, overactivation to the point of exhaustion leaves you in a vulnerable position. And I would say that most people out there, if you're listening, if you have been diagnosed with some sort of meta metabolic disorder, the adrenal glands will be sitting right right in the centre of that. And so how do you look after, how do people look after their adrenals and their kidneys? Well, you've got to take care of yourself. And I think that's the message. The message is you've got to participate. You've got to be active in, in, in participating, but you've got to rest. You know, Shavasana. Uh, taking care of yourself, legs up the wall. I'm talking yoga. <laughs> so, um, so these are the postures that help the body to rejuvenate, to recover. So you need to rest. And they're but, restorative. And there's another analogy too. Mr. Iyengar always talks about um, do your yoga with great love. Don't do it with great willpower. Uh, do it with great love. Well, let's talk about so that. So if you're talking about drivers... You, you would want your driver to be love, not self-hatred. Right. And this is what I learnt a couple of years later because what I did was is that after I did the Gerson, I got to a point where I just couldn't physically do it anymore. I had pain in my hip and 
in my groin, I, I was in a bit of trouble. And what I did was... So I, you couldn't do the walking around that you needed to do to make the juices exactly. and do the enemas? I couldn't stand on my feet anymore. Because when you have your lymph nodes removed, you, you get swelling. I had swelling in my leg and, you know, I was trying to control it, but it was very difficult. So what I did was I uh, got to a point where I couldn't stand up. <laughs> I mean, I was in trouble. And I'd never really been in trouble physically. I'd always coped with it. So what happened was I had a friend of mine and um, a very a beautiful man. Uh, and he had had a form of cancer and he came up to me he said well we better get you somewhere where you can have a rest so he sent me down to um, Patria Kings at Bundanoon to her retreat center a quest for life and what happened was uh, I went down there I was in a lot of pain uh, so I tried to work through it and then uh, Patria actually gave a talk and what she spoke about was the the energy of healing and the energy of disease and it hit me like a ton of bricks it was like an, a, it was like an epiphany because what i'd done was i'd taken the same energy that made me sick literally and i'd put it straight into the healing process so i was healing with this trying to heal myself with the same energy that loaded my adrenals, that loaded my kidneys, that loaded my body systems. So the same attitude, you were taking the same. Exactly. And, 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 and that, was the, that was a major issue. So that's really deeply getting to know yourself and how you operate and what your drivers are. That's right. And how do you go about changing that? How do you change that? <laughs> well, I think understanding it, first of all, first of all is, is, is important. You've got to know, you've got to be aware of what you're doing. And it it takes time. It takes time. I mean, I would love to have one of those stories where, you know, the person got the, you know, got the diagnosis, then a month later they didn't have it. I mean, I would love one of those stories, but it's not happening. Yeah. And I've been through, you know, over this seven-year period, it's not only a physical thing, it's also an emotional thing. And I think... Hearing Petrius talk about that gave me a great insight into myself, um, that my perfectionism, my ability to drive myself, the ability to take myself beyond pain. Now, it does come in handy, especially if I get a sore hip, you know, I, I, I can deal with it. But when you're dealing, when, when you are absorbing so much pain that you are able to still function and keep a smile on your face, it's not good. Um, but society, now I've come from a driven society. I, was, I used to play competitive sport. Um, I'm naturally competitive. And that competitive spirit can be very, very difficult to deal with because you want to prove that you're, you know, you're right. You want to prove that it's okay. And that, that, it's not good. Um, I also heard another great thing. Um, at the time, I used to do a lot of listening to, you know, people that were in the forefront of of development, of human development. And uh, I remember uh, I picked up this uh, interview with someone and they were talking about, now basically they were talking about self-improvement. And, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd travelled around the world following Anthony Robbins 
Um, you know, I, I went to uh, in those in the 90s. I was in there listening to Deepak Chopra, listening, uh, you know, going to see them here in Australia. Uh, Wayne Dyer, you know, all, all these guys that were. This was before your yeah, your yeah, diagnosis. Way before. Right. But what happens is, is that I, I sort of, I was sort of pursuing that. I pursued that with the same energy of this perfectionism. That then self-hatred. Yeah. Well, it's coming from the wrong place. That, that you're not sort of good enough as you are and so you've got to work yes. frantically to to make yourself better. Exactly. And, and when I heard um, uh, this guy talking about it um, from Hay House, what he was talking about was that energy of saying that, you know, you've got to improve. You know, you've got to be better. You know, you're doing this to be better is a really destructive energy. And I, that really made sense to me. Instead of accepting who I was or who we are and just allowing that to settle and just be in that, we're always going to the next level. I, that word really irritates me, actually. Level. There should be no level. Well, it's very popular, especially with the kids these days. Everyone's trying to level up in video games and things like that. They're, they're getting very conditioned into leveling up. Well, I think it's a part of the uh, it's a part of the landscape out there. It's a huge part of it because, I mean, I went to school. I did three unit sport and three unit socialising. I mean, I <laughs> I didn't I wasn't academic at all, uh, but. You know, the amount of pressure that people are under to uh, develop their, um, you know, their their skills academically and to be something. Well, you're already something. And I didn't realise that. And I mean, I was 47 years old. I still didn't realise it. I was always looking for the next um, situation that would prove that I was OK. And it just never came. Because when you like that, you do something, you absorb it, and then you think, well, that wasn't very... Where's the satisfaction in that? There's none. Well, I've got to do something else now. So I was, I was like the, uh, the Pac-Man on the screen. Uh, whether it was a relationship, whether it was sport, whether it was, you know... The next thing, the next achievement, I'll do it to prove that I'm okay and then discover that I'm just the same person I was before. Well, absolutely. So uh, that was a big shock. So, um, so, so you think that just being aware of the pattern is helping you to oh, yeah. change it? You, sure. So does that mean you recognise it a lot more quickly oh, yeah. when it's in play? Well, I know when I'm doing it and then I've got to actually back off and just go, okay, well, I'm okay. You know, I don't have to do anything here. It doesn't require me. That's the ego totally just taking over. And uh, I, I know we're sort of getting into, you know, the emotional status or even the spiritual status. Well, it is. It's, that's very what's interesting about it is the spiritual growth, you know, how you've grown and learnt as a person through yes. this very sort of difficult diagnosis. You know, you come yeah. face to face with death. Yes. And then it's, it seems it's certainly you seem to have grown as a person. You know? Well, I have, and I've learned a lot about myself. And and I think Patria, you know, I thank Patria for that. For and my friend uh, Kevin, who's actually passed now, but uh, he's a beautiful guy, and he gave me the opportunity to go down there. If, this is another important thing: when you get clarity, you start to understand how each experience links to the next 
Now, I met Kevin. Um, his young son had had a back injury and I'd helped him with that. And then Kevin came into my life and then he gave me the opportunity to meet Patria. And he was, he didn't do what I did. He wasn't interested in what I was doing. Um, in his own words, he was a Coke and Twisties guy. But he loved what I was doing and he supported me. And I think what I did do and what I have done over the last seven years, I've got a lot of people who genuinely love me and are supportive of what I do. Um, and they love being around that. Um, and what you do is in, is cleaning up your diet, really looking after your immune system, really doing the best you can to love yourself with everything that you know now. Every choice I make, I try to make a choice that is helping me. Um, and, and I think that's a really important point because once you get in that destructive cycle, it's easy to keep going down, 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 down. But I've developed a default where, where if I, if, say if I go and just say I went out and had a Nenish tart. Okay. Now, I haven't had a Nenish tart for many years, but the, the next thing that I would do is that I would get back on to what I was doing and I wouldn't berate myself for doing it. Now, five years ago, I would have berated myself for doing it, worried about doing it. Uh, so that's sort of the, the background to that. So, um, so you have a lot more forgiveness and a lot more, a lot more compassion, compassion for, for, who, for who I am. But, but don't worry. I mean, that is challenged constantly because of my programming, because of the way. Okay. So let's, uh, can you talk, I want to get back onto the, we'll take off again from Petraea King and mm. continue, but can you just tell us what your prognosis was, what they gave when, when you were first diagnosed, what they said to you? Well, they usually because it was in my lymphatic system, it's sort of a stage three. So it's gone from the skin into the body system. Uh, so I was hanging around stage three and like in the original diagnosis, I had a 50-50 chance of getting to five years um, clean, free of anything. Well, you've done that. You've gone beyond five I years. have done that. So I've fitted those stats, but I, you know, I, I limped into that because I had the re-diagnosis, but I've managed to negotiate myself for another five years. So at the, at the moment, it's stage four in their eyes. Um, so, but there you go. There's levels. So I'm, I don't invest in that. What I invest in is um, other things that are more relative. Like so, what? Well, well, did I answer your question? Do you think just then? Did did I make myself clear clear, clear yes. about that? Yes. So um. So we'll talk about what you invest in at another point. Is that what you're saying? No, I just thought that I just wanted to make sure I answered that question for you about you know what the prognosis was. Well, the prognosis was that I could get to five years cleanly, or the prognosis is that you can't get there, and there's a high probability that you won't make it. And what's the probability? Well, 50-50. That's where it's at. Now, stage four, there's no one singing and dancing in the medical side of things. It's just like, it's just damage control right now. They, they want to put you on clinical trials when you're on stage four, don't they? So well, or whatever the drug is that's working at the time. That, they, that they're just really testing. They're not really sure of exactly what, yeah. how it works. Yeah, because my situation now is inoperable. 
because of the location. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. I'm sort of, I have a valuable friend. Who's that? <laughs> Mr. Melanoma. <laughs> it goes with me everywhere. But I'm trying to feed it as well as possible. <laughs> it's very lucky. It's, it's totally organic, mine. But, um, but you yeah. don't want to be too attached to him, do you? You'd like it. Well, you don't, really... and, but you've got to be uh, civil. You know, it's part of you. It's me. Mm. You know, it's it's resilient. It's a little bit stubborn. Uh, it likes hanging around for long periods of time when it's not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot like me. And uh, I just got to give it, you know, that respect and go, okay, well, you're there, but, you know, you're not running the program here. Well, you certainly look well, you know. Yeah, no, I've really looked after my health, and that's the exciting part about it. But I think it, you know, through that process of doing Gerson and then coming out the other end of that, um, going to Patria, getting some information from her, and I think she made a big difference to the way that I was I was actually doing. And I was just fortunate that I actually got to have lunch with her and talk to her in detail. But she had a great story. I'd like, love to share that with you. Yeah, sure, okay? yeah. But she... Uh, because when I was listening to Patria, I'm thinking, geez, I'm like Patria. And that goes back to that profile, you know, of the, um, you know, people that sort of get into a little bit of trouble. So, um, but what she told me was she went to a, um, she had leukaemia and she was overseas at the time. She was under, under the pump. And actually, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me repeating the story, but she repeats it a lot herself. But uh, it, what she had was she she had she one of her family members was under a lot of stress and it created a lot of stress in the family. But anyway, she was married. She went overseas and um, anyway, she got the diagnosis of leukaemia and then she had to figure out what she was going to do. But eventually, what she did was she went to live in a monastery in Italy. And what happened was she was there the first night and. Um, the monks came in with the with the dinner. Now, Patria at that time, I don't know if she was vegan, but she's vegetarian. Uh, she was a naturopath, so she was, you know, she she was into her health. Anyway, they came in. She was a non-drinker, and they came in, and 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 the monks brought the food in. So it was a piece of meat with white bread and a goblet of wine. <laughs> so she's looking at it, right? And she's going, oh, you know, this is unbelievable. But what she did was at that moment in time, she just let let go, you know, let go and let be. And because those people were bringing that food for in, in, in the name of love for her, to care for her, so she just let it go. And that was a story that she relayed to us and she reiterated it when we were having lunch. And it made a lot of sense. Yeah, not to be so sort of tight around all that tight. stuff. Yeah, and I'm tight, right? I was tight because I had to stick to the schedule. I had to, you know, yeah. everything had to be as it should be. Yeah. And she's saying, well, you know, and it makes total sense now. I understand exactly why because the pressure it puts on the body chemically is unbelievable. Yeah, right. So there's a lot to say to, um, I mean, you hear lots of stories. You know, I heard one story about a lady who got cancer. She loved dancing, so she just danced for months and months and months. And guess what? No cancer. 
So, but I don't know if I can dance for that long. <laughs> I don't know if dancing is my number one thing. But um, I guess you've got to do what, what I have realised is everyone's got their own process. Everyone's got their own way of doing it. And this is why if you look on the internet or you get advice from people, there'll be some people doing a ketogenic diet. There'll be other people doing a strict vegetarian diet. There'll be people doing a vegan diet. You know, it's just, it's absolutely mind-boggling for people out there. So, um, so this is the issue. But what Patri did teach me is, is that you sometimes you just got to let go and just let things take their... Place. Now, I would never let go and just go, okay, noonish tarts three times a day. And a six-pack of beer. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but um, what I would do is I would say, oh, well, if I, you know, if I have, um, you know, if I have something that's not exactly on my program, it's not the end of the world and my body will deal with it. Because um, I'm, and or if I came, say I came to your place and you made me dinner and you made me a beautiful dinner, it's not usually what I would eat, but it was made with, with care and love. So, you know, I would consume that because the food has an energy. And that's what she talked about. Because um, that's also that story of the Buddhist monks who used to go with their begging bowl looking for food and they would they would always eat whatever was given. And they so they would not refuse meat if it was offered, of course. Yeah. So I think... I think we're capable of doing that. I think mm. we are capable of not being so rigid. Mm. Because also, even in, in yoga, that there's talk that your body can change whatever you eat. They can, it can change it into something that's good for you. Well, your, what you eat identifies genetically. Goes, it, it, it has an impact on your DNA. Now, science knows that. So... If anyone out there is in a situation where someone is telling them that diet isn't important, I would I would be very, very careful about that statement. Well, I remember when we first went, when they were offering you a clinical trial, they wanted to give you the interferon mm. for 12 months, I think. Yeah. And um, you were asked what chance, what percentage would that give you of improved outcomes and she said five percent and then you said do you have any idea what how much a change in diet would give you and she said five percent yes well that was good I, we got a figure out of someone so yes. she would say so that so that the trial didn't offer anything more than changing your diet would offer that's right that's right so um look there is plenty of evidence out there there's a stack of antidote anecdotal evidence out there um, I mean, I know people that have done it. I've, I've talked to, actually, I just spoke to a young lady the other day, stage four melanoma. Um, she had it, first of all, in the temple, then a mastoid process, which is behind the ear. Then it came down into the jaw. Then she ended up with it under a chin. So they just said to her, look, things aren't looking good. We can't control it. She got it in a lung and then in a sternum. Now, she was heading south, and what she decided to do was she decided to look at her diet and look at what she was doing, and she ended up going to a Gerson clinic, not the one I went to, another one, where she received um, among... She, she did the Gerson. It's, it's a modified Gerson, same number of juices and enemas, but the, the, the diet is more liberal. 
and um, she used the same supplements as I did. And she also had intravenous vitamin C, uh, Laetrile, B12, uh, B17. And uh, she also had something called Coley's fluid. And Coley's fluid is basically a bacterial vaccination. And what it does is when you put it into your body, your immune system reacts and, she, and she, you get a fever. And she used this for about six months. Now, this is one of the great things that I have done, Linda, is I've actually sought people who have survived. It's like the old Tony Robbins thing, you know. He, he studied people that were successful. So that's what I've done. I just go to people who, who have been successful. Patria King, successful. Yeah, it took, actually going back to Patria, 12 months, no cancer. And she's never had any problems since. So, um, so this young lady's name is um, Bailey O'Brien. And uh, she's a beautiful young girl. And we had a chat on Skype and it just shows you the determination that people can get. And she's, she's, she's healthy, you know, she looks great. Um, she's following, you know, good eating principles, you know, not like she was in that period of time. But this is the, this is the issue though. After one month of doing these protocols, the tumour's cleared in her lungs. Wow. Sternum. So have you tried that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the whole thing. It's even for me, it's very challenging to get availability of these things. And there's a cost involved with these things. And um, This is what I get a bit frustrated about. I mean, everyone's willing to give me poison, you know, and potentially wipe out my intestines and my liver and my kidneys and that's my with the conventional medicine yeah because it's got side effects that's right but no one's willing to you know just whack a bit of vitamin c into me at all and i think what a waste so i think there needs to be a lot of you know people need to wake up and start going well who is being successful in these things but it's 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 so far removed it's not funny and that's probably one of the frustrating things that i experience but so let's continue with your story of your treatment. So first yeah. of all, you went to the Melanoma Centre, is yeah, that what the, it's called? the Melanoma Unit. The say. Melanoma Unit. And so that was where you got your diagnosis yeah. and they wanted to operate on the, when it had gone into the... Iliac nodes. Into the iliac nodes. And I you, said no. You said no. And then what happened after that? Well, I, you went off to Petraea King? I saw Petraea and then the next thing, this was in about March 2014, the next thing I, just, I, I googled lymphatics. I mean, can you believe it? I googled lymphatics and I came up and then I found this guy who specialises in lymphatics. So I'm thinking, wow, this is great. So I'm going to have a look at this. And what's his name? His name is Robert Morse, and he's a naturopath. And uh, anyway, so I, I had a consult with his office, and I started on this new regime, which is a, which is a lot more of what Petrie was talking about. It's a lot more relaxed, a lot more fun. Uh, it involved eating a lot of fruit, which everyone thinks fruit is too much sugar. But uh, anyway, it's been two years, and I'm holding pretty... Pretty good in two years. And the reason for eating the fruit is? Well, the fruit is a cleaner. Like you have lemons in your dishwashing liquid. Um, fruit has a drawing effect on the vessels in your body. 
and it's um, it's very good like to to get into the tissue itself the nutrients the phytonutrients in the in in the fruit the um, flavonoids and the um, incredible con, um, compact nutritional um, nourishment of the fruit and uh, it's easily accessible by the body very it? easy mm. it goes in it, it, it has very minimal effect on the structures of the body which are responding to food so the, the cells can utilize the fruit very easily without a lot of work and one of the key things is that if you are not feeling well you need to take the pressure off your body and I think up to 70% of your energy goes on digestion so if you're not feeling well but you're eating a lot of heavy food what you're doing is is you're taking the energy away you're making your body work hard when that energy should be going you know towards things like cleaning yeah it's, it's a very big it's picture. very interesting too because again in yoga you know they talk about the sattvic diet which is all about juicy sweet fruits and and exactly. you know like grapes and things like that or... well we've got so much to learn from the ancient cultures i mean yoga's one um you've got um you know tai chi and qigong and all these wonderful movement therapies uh, but you know, you know these therapies also incorporate lifestyle and um, you know uh, food and everything else so we've got so much information out there that we can access but the problem is is that it's not actually packaged in a way that's easily accessible and there's so much fear around doing something different that you know, it just freaks people out. Yes, yeah, so you can, get condemned if you're doing something outside of the yeah, medical system. Yeah. Like, for instance, this is a good for instance. When I was on Gerson, after six months, I had a 20% improvement in my condition. Now, I sent the, the information back to the doctor. I sent it back to the melanoma unit. I didn't get one phone call. I didn't get one iota from anybody. And that was a 20% reduction in the size of the tumour, was yes. it? Yeah, the, the, the So nobody the was interested? No one. Now, I can, I can assure you, if I was on something for six months and I had a 20%, even more in, improvement, or even showed improvement and holding, and I was on some sort of drug, they'd be very happy. That's the sadness of, of where I've been. And how can you tell us more about your treatment program? Like how what has happened after that? Did you end? Are you at the Chris O'Brien part of the? Yeah, well, I'm coming up to that because what I did was is that after I spoke to Patria and I spoke to Robert, uh, well, Robert Morse's office. What I did then is I went on a I did a couple of fasts, and I went to Queensland and I fasted up there. Um, I wasn't very mobile then, but after the fast, I was actually able to go down the shops and do some things. The fasting, that's when I really learned about food. I mean, Gerson was great, but it was all sort of a bit of a rush. When I went and started, uh, well, I did a 40-day grape fast. Sorry to... It's all right. It's all right. We can yeah. edit it. Doesn't matter. Well, people get very concerned about eating grapes for 40 days. Um, and then I backed that up back-to-back -back with 30 days on lemons. Wow. And how was that? Well, that was, well, that that was interesting. 
what did you did you have any sort of spiritual or realizations <laughs> during that? Well, I was doing a lot of Nini's chart dreaming, <laughs> and I became obsessed with cooking shows. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. And I'd, I'd actually watch the infomercials, and I'd watch them uh, preparing the food, and I'd be going, oh, geez, I'd love to have something. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sort of eating with your eyes. I was, and I was, I was getting lean. Um, one of the key things about fasting is if you, if you fast and you lose a hell of a lot of weight, it's just a sign that you're not absorbing your food properly. Yeah. Mm. So that was interesting uh, because I think if you've got a, an issue with metabolic disease, there's a good chance you've got an issue with your gut. Mm -hmm. I'd say there's every chance. So, but wouldn't it make sense you'd lose weight because you're fasting? True. You'd lose weight anyway. True, but I guess it's the way that you lose it and the, and the intensity that you lose it at. But I got down to... Um, so you lost weight? Yeah, you? I did, yeah. I was looking pretty lean. Um, but I was away, which was good. I think if I had been around people who knew me, they would have been freaking out. But I did it. I, I cleaned. I did that uh, nearly three months. And um, I was up and mobile. And I was really happy about that. And um, So it worked for you in that sense? I think it was great, yeah. And uh, Because it took you from being in so much pain that you couldn't move and to being able to walk yeah. again. And that what the pain was coming from the swelling in That's the right. groin? Yeah. Well, if you've got swelling or you've got pain or you've got any of those type of symptoms, your body's trying to put out the fire. So your body's reacting to what's going on within it. So... Very interesting process, but anyway, I did uh, I did that fast, and then I gradually got back onto food again. But by the September, so that was the March I went up there. By the September, you know, I just I wasn't very mobile. I was better, but I wasn't very mobile. And then that's when they said to me, "Look, you know, we've got a drug." Um, they they tested the the. Um, and who was this? Is this the this melanoma, is the melanoma unit? unit? Yeah. Yep. Now, now I'm now I've gone from the surgeon. Now I'm into the oncologist now, because the surgeon said, "Well, I can't do anything for you. It's it's on, it's the oncologist now." So I um I worked with the oncologist, and the the surgeon was a bit cagey with me because he said that he could take out what was there. And then because what happened was, this, this was an interesting process because I'd seen him in the march and he was very hesitant to do anything because he thought I was going to die. Now, I'm putting it straight out there. That's what he was thinking. So I come back in September. Guess what? <laughs> I'm not dead. I walked in, you know, or limped a little bit, but I did go in and... No spread of the disease. Well, I think he fell off his chair. But he became all optimistic that he could do something. And then in a two-week turnaround, he changed his mind. So he told you he would be able to operate on it. And then two weeks later, he changed his mind. Yeah. And then that the, my only avenue then was to take the drug. And, uh, I, and look, I... I you know, I thought, okay, well, I'll take the drug. And what is the drug? That was a BRAF inhibitor. And what does that do? Well, that inhibits the, the genetic mutation of the cell, the melanoma uh, mutation. 
And so I, I, I did that. I did that for 18 months. And that took me up to just, you know, a couple of months ago. But, um, but what I did was, I, see, this is the important thing about participation. I thought, okay, I'll take the drug, but I'm going to be nourishing my body like you wouldn't believe. So I, I balanced it out. You know, I'm eating all the good food. I'm doing, I'm doing the lemon juicing. I'm, I'm cleaning as best I can, you know, cleaning my bowel, you know, cleaning my lungs, using herbs, which you're not supposed to. Sorry about that. But um, <laughs> because when you're on the drug, right, you're not supposed to do anything. You're just supposed to lie down on the couch and let it happen. But Are, are there issues, though, with contraindications? Yeah, there are. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking a risk there. Right. But what I did was, I didn't do it straight off. What I did was I, uh, I, I actually sort of blended the herbs in over a period of time, looking to see if there's any reaction. What kind of herbs? Well, I, I used herbs for my uh, kidneys and, and um, bladder uh, to clean the kidneys and support the kidneys. I used it for my bowel, to clean my bowel. I used herbs to uh, stimulate my lymphatic system. And I, which herbs were they? Well, I can't tell you because they're, they're actually in a mixture. Okay. But um, we could become more precise about that. <laughs> but, okay. you know, there's there's certain herbs. So that these are, that herbs really were um, prescribed for you by? By, uh, d by Dr. Morse's office. Okay. And what he does is he uses the herbs and the fruits in conjunction with each other. So you're cleaning at a high level and then you're nourishing the body with the with the herbal structures so um yeah and what i did was is that over this period of time too it, it all started to fall into place for me so i started to get excited about that i mean i, I love teaching I'm, I'm sort of been a teacher uh, throughout my career so you know I, I developed some programs around that to help people to understand what they're trying to do so um yeah, so when I came back and then, you know, the doctor said to me, well, you know, uh, we can do something. Then he said he can't. And then they put me on the drug. I just went for the next 18 months on that drug. I did visit the hospital more times in that period, 18-month period, than I'd ever visited a hospital in my life. And which part of the hospital was it? Emergency. Because what would happen was is that the drug would create temperatures and, uh, you know, I think at the highest it was 40, 41 degrees or something. Um, but, um, you know, I tried to control it, um, tried, tried to make sure that I wasn't... Because what happens with the drug is that some people can take it seven days a week. Other people can take it five. There was, they told me there was a person who could only have it once a week. So it just depends on your personal biochemistry, how you can tolerate the drug. But I was lucky. My body tolerated it. But the fevers are a common side effect. How did they determine whether your body could tolerate it? Or not? Well, you just take it and they start you off on the full dose and then they see how your body reacts. And then if it's reacting too much, you know, you don't want to destroy your body. So they'll decrease the dosage and whatever. So I just worked with the dosages over that period of time. Okay. I, I got twice the length out of it. Its average is about nine months, um, but I ended up doing 18 months. Um, along with cleaning my body. And, and so is that stuff. like a chemotherapy? Is that what it is? Well, it's not a chemotherapy. It's a genetic drug. Mm. Genetic. Yeah, so it's actually targeting the genetic mutation that creates, the, well, which, which they feel creates the melanoma. 
So do you feel that that helped you then? Oh, yeah, it did. It got me mobile. It took the pain away. I'm very grateful for that. Okay? Don't get me wrong. And so where are you at now? What well, what happened was I had a PET scan a couple of months ago and it just showed that I had a bit of activity back in this area. I've got like a, 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 a mass of lymph nodes there and it just showed that I had more activity in that In that area. same right groin? Yeah, in the same area. Nowhere else in my body. So you have got lymph nodes there again? In the iliac area, right. yes, in that new area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so then they said, well, look, it looks like the drug is wearing off. You know, we're going to have to change tact. And then they've got a new drug, which is an immunotherapy drug. It's called Keytruda. But this is the other thing. It's very hard to find information about all of this. So this is, a, this is, a, this is their, you know, go-to drug now. And uh, they're working on the immune system. And I've got, you know, the oncologist, the oncologist is supportive. You know, she's saying, oh, well, you know, we've got a got a drug that will help your immune system, you know. But the problem is, is that what I say to, to the oncologist is, I say, well, you, you're going to boost the immune system. But at the same time, the immune system could be so boosted that it could actually eat and start to, you know, produce other problems. Like eat itself? Or... Yeah, basically. It'll start to create an autoimmune response. So it could take out my bowel, which would be disastrous for cleaning your body. It could take out my kidneys, could take out my liver, could take out my lungs. And I just said to her, I held the book up, I said, all these things here I need. I can't lose any of them. So. And what book was that? Was that the book showing the, the possible key, yeah, that's the key, side effects? Yeah, that, that's the key Truder book that tells you about what's going on. Right. Now, admittedly, the drug that I was on previously, it had horrific side effects as well, but I didn't get any of them. I only got the temperature. So most people get away with it. It's only a small percentage that could go off the with get the, scale. the side effects. So, um, so I'm now in the throes of making that decision. Am I going to go down that pathway? Is that the right thing to do at this time? It's more about the timing. Is it the right time to, you know, take the pill? I'll, I'll find that out, you know, very shortly. And how are you feeling in yourself? Well, I feel good. I think I'm healthier now than I've ever been. To be honest, it was interesting because I um, we were having a bit of a muck around with the at, at the oncology uh, appointment, and um, we got onto foot talking about rugby league, and I used to play rugby league. Yes, I want to talk about your that. Hmm. I'm running out of time. But, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Go on. But anyway, what happened was I just I I had sent my friend uh, who's a Mad St George supporter a, a photo of me playing footy, and I said, "Oh, hang on, I have got a photo of myself," because what they do is they only know you as you are now, you know. And so I showed them this photo. It's like this is the oncologist. Yeah, it's 30, 30, 30 years old because she, uh, she was actually a Parramatta supporter. Oh, right. And. Um, so we had a bit of a chat about that, and I said, oh, "I've got a photo here. I'll show you." And then so I showed her that. It was interesting her response. She said, "Oh, you know, it's we get people. It's it's interesting to see people when they're in their prime, um, or you know, supposedly really healthy. You know, she didn't say that, but that's what she meant. You know, you're physical. You're out there. You're doing something. You know, like I was 95 kilos. You know, now I'm sort of." you know, flat out being 80. So um, anyway, so, and what I what I said to her was, well, that's interesting because, you know, I'm healthier now than I've ever been. 
Now, I might have looked good, okay, or looked physically healthy, but I wasn't, you know. I was drinking beer, I was smoking cigarettes, you know, I was, my relationships weren't good, my relationship with myself wasn't good. So... How old were you then? Yeah, I was in my 20s then. I would have been about 22. Mm-hmm. The same age as my son, roughly. My son's about 25, so I was a little bit younger than him. And I look at him and I look at me and I think, well, you know, he's a con- completely different kettle of fish. Well, know? he's really benefited from your experience, hasn't he? Both your but children have learned have. so much from you. Well, my my, my uh, daughter and I, my, my daughter Kate, um, we have a great relationship with food. We both We're both foodies. And that's really nice for us to have that. Because um, it wasn't always like that. No, no, it wasn't because... Um, you introduced her to healthy food. Yeah, yeah. And it, I wish I had done it when they were kiddies. Um, and that's... Anyone who's got kids, I mean, I would be digging in, finding out about food right now and really, really making an effort to, if you're not eating well, to actually start to get educated. But I was speaking to a young lady the other day, well, she's in her 40s, and she's got a beautiful young daughter, and I just said, and she's interested in, you know, learning some of the stuff that I've done. And I said, well, you know what I do? I take 12 months, and I just work on my health, learn the skills, learn how to clean your body, learn how to clean, your, you know, learn how to clean your organs, uh, play an active role, participate, and then teach your daughter how to do it. I wish I had have had this knowledge when I was in my 20s. I help a lot of younger people that are in their prime like that. Um, I had a young athlete come to see me. Uh, he had issues with his breathing. He's a, he's a performance athlete. You know, he's playing a very high level of sport. And we were able to negotiate him through that just through understanding the impact that certain foods were having on him. So that's exciting to me. And it's exciting for me to pass on that information because I've spent a fortune gathering that information. Um, lots of experience, lots of money, and I'm just very grateful that I've had a lot of support to help me through that process. But um, there, um, yes, it's uncanny, really, when you think, you know, of your background and your 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 job is is corrective exercise and working with people to mm. get optimum performance and all that sort of stuff. So then you have got a lot to, you've learned a lot and you've passed on a lot of information. Well, here's another good example. A young runner came to see me. I, I did an assessment for this young runner and, and looked at her physically and also looked at what she was in, taking into her body. And we set a, a schedule for her and gave her some recommendations and this is a young girl who couldn't run 100 metres without cramping. This is a young girl who's constantly in pain. This is a young girl who um, is being adversely affected constantly in her life by the way she's feeling through her body. After doing the suggested protocols, which were very simple but took willpower, um, she ran a first race without pain in years. Fantastic. So that's more proof that it works. Well, totally. I mean, it happens over and over again. I've I've worked with lots of people, helping them to have build their relationship with food, get an understanding of why they might be eating the food, rather than just relying on what on how it tastes. I don't think ancient traditions used food like the way we use it. It was about nurturing the body and nurturing the body systems and 
using the herbs and 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 using fasting and using all these ta- uh, strategies. But and I think though that taste is important because it's it's like it's a way of loving yourself is feeding yourself things that taste good and healthy. You know, they don't have to taste good and unhealthy. They can. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. But and you taste know, taste can be a great guide, like cooking with herbs and cooking with. Oil. Oh yeah, I mean, there's lots of things, but I think what we find is is that we get into a bit of a trap there, where we see, you know, the the block of top deck, you know, being the tasty treat, whereas we could have, you know, maybe a bowl of of hummus with some nice carrots and celery. It's it's more to do with um, this is what the problem is, because once you get on that roundabout of eating that way. It's very, very hard to get I off. I know. It's very difficult with children, with my own son, so mm. sadly. You know, he'll come home and have a piece of chocolate cake rather than yeah. some An carrots. Apple. and Yeah. yeah. But uh, you just got to do the best that you can do to mm. negotiate your way through it. And that is the, that is a really key message. You're not. It's not going to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. But if you can tip the scales to, to cleaning and looking after your body and giving your body good nutrients away from not doing that, yeah. well, then you're in there with a chance. Now, if, if you are in a lot of trouble, you know, with your health, you may have to dig in a bit deeper. And how would you recommend people do that? Well, I think the first thing you do is find a practitioner that you can work with. Don't do it by yourself. I did that for two years. It was the wrong thing to do. Doing it by yourself. Yeah. Too hard. I wasted time. Well, and only people with your mental strength. I think we should just talk briefly about your background. So you were a footballer. Can you just talk a little bit about that and then yeah. how you moved into your profession? Sure. Well, I I was always uh, I always played rugby league. I, that was my sort of signature sport. Um, I liked other sports, but I, I was I sort of excelled at that sport. And it was very important to your father too, wasn't it, that you play rugby league? Well, he he was interested. My both my parents were interested in in, in rugby league, and um, I think they just enjoyed me playing and 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 getting out there and. Um, you know, I, I was just, it was something that I could do. And yeah. I think that just stuck with me all the way through uh, when I went, you know, obviously when I went to school. And So it I, wasn't something that you did to get your father's approval or something. It was, it came from you. You just had a love for rugby league. That's what you loved doing. Well, I think I was good at it. I don't know how, how deeply I loved it, but I think it was something that I could really do. And, and I also got a lot of, you know, attention from it because I was good at it. And that sort of, you know, that, that was pretty constant all the way through, uh, right up until I was 18. And when I was 18, I got graded with St. George straight from school. Um, and uh, and then I played there for six years with St. George. And uh, I played a few games of first grade, but I was, um, I don't know if I loved it that much to take it to the next level. Well, there's that word level, but in those days it was all about levels and, and I was under a lot of pressure and I can remember very clearly how, how nervous I used to get and how anxious I, be, I used to become. And I just wish I had have had me now as someone to come in and say, look, you know, have you thought of it this way? Um, because what happens with me is, is that I, I get very nervous and very anxious, say, at beginning something new or being challenged. But, I, but like us all, like everyone listening to this, we have an ability to settle in and create something. And I just didn't give myself that time and patience. I, I was 23. Now, these days in rugby league, when you're 23 or 24, 25, you're just cutting your teeth. But I thought that I had to be 
you know, perfect. And that puts a lot of pressure on you. I just, I've just been working with a young guy in the NRL. And, and the, these, these, this is important information. This is information that helps people shift through what they're going through. So, yeah, so that's what I did. And I did that right up till I was... Uh, and what is that important information that helps people shift? The important information is, is that you, you, you're in a moment in time and you need support and you need emotional support. And what we often perceive that's going on isn't really going on at all. So I had all that pressure on myself to be something by the time I was 23 or 24 that it was easy to walk away because I didn't have that pressure on me. Instead of someone coming along and saying, okay, well, you know, you're going you're to hit your straps when you're about 26. But in the meantime, what we've got to do is we've got to, you know, we've got to work on your game a little bit so that you can... And part of it was I wouldn't allow that to happen because of the fear. And you had yourself under so much pressure. That's right. And so you never make good decisions so much when you're under expectation pressure. and pressure. Yeah, yeah, loads. Well, when you're in the limelight like that, you know, to that extent, I, I wasn't, you know, like a, I wasn't a Arthur Beetson or a Steve Rogers, right? I wasn't in that much limelight. But I was still, I had an energy around me doing this sport. And what I really needed was someone who I would listen to. I don't know who that may have been, but someone to come along and say, well, you know, you're going well, you're tracking okay. We just calm need to down. calm down. Take it easy, son. So I, I help young, I, I love working with young rugby league players because I understand the game so innately um, and I understand the emotional side of it. And the pressure that they're under. Well, I don't understand that because the pressure I was under is much different than the pressure they're under. They're under a lot more pressure. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game now. But the basics are the same. You know, you've got to, you've got to have, you've got to have trust in yourself, and and the journey of preparing for a game, playing the game, getting through the game, what you do after the game, it's it's a total uh, analogy of having a metabolic disease. Total. What's your preparation? How are you preparing for what you need to do? What are you doing while you, while you're getting the treatment, or while you're you're, you're getting searching for treatment how are you organizing yourself in the game when you get a knock and you go down are you getting back up again or you know are you you're thinking no i can't do it and and that's one of the great things about sport and they it's, it's a well-known it's a cliche right but it is true because when when and sport things, prepares you for life it does because when things aren't going right you've got to have a default you've got to have somewhere to go and and even though i was playing sport I, that was something that i sort of knew but i didn't know i wasn't practicing it because i just i i was too busy with nervous energy about what i couldn't do yeah yeah that you couldn't actually be in the moment of where I you couldn't. were you were too much in your head and no which happens to a lot of us yeah i think the first time i was in the moment was when i sat down with patria king three years ago wow in your whole life i think so and not that i'm you know mr moment right now but i'm totally more connected to, yeah. to the environment well you certainly seem a much happier person paradoxically yeah. enough to me and well, in the throes of dealing with all of this, it's made me happier because I've dug into myself, mm. because I, I realise I can do things. Mm. 
And you actually have better relationships with people. Oh, totally, because I'm not as hard on myself, mm. you know. I, don't get me wrong, I'm not an angel, right? But I do know when I'm stepping over the line and I've got to draw back and go, no, that's not the way to go. That's not the right pathway. Mm. So, um, Yes, often when I'm just listening to sport on the radio, I hear commentary that reminds me of you and how you're dealing with your disease. And so things like... Um, you know, if you're a senior player, when things get tough, you lift your game to inspire the younger players. Yeah, well, and that happens. I mean, if you're living a certain way and you're living, you know, you, you, you're walking your talk, inspiration is a, is a natural overflow. And that's happening, isn't it? Because through your son's association with the vision gyms, you're yeah. working with him and all his young, beautiful young friends yes. and teaching them everything you know. Well, I teach them things, but you're, I'm always teaching at different levels because the, the, the first message is, is that everything's okay. You're doing great. You, you're beautiful young kids. The next message is, okay, well, the gastrocnemius attaches to you, calcaneus, you know. I mean, that's irrelevant. The most important thing is those kids have feel something. And I think everyone, you always want a miracle, right? You always want a miracle. But the, the miracle for me is not that my situation suddenly cured. The miracle for me is, is actually digging in and, and feeling and experiencing the change in my perception. Well, of course, the miracles, that's what they talk about. You know, it's a change in perception. But the change in perception for me or the miracle for me is that I've been able to go from, you know, the, the seafood eating, you know, eat anything, you know, not very good to myself, you know, not having good relationships. Um, the only relationship that I can really stick up for is the relationship that I had with my children and I, I love them dearly and, and I was able to deal with that. But um, this is the key. It's 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 once you once you wake up, once you get the idea, anything's possible. And the idea, and what is that idea? Participate. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Learn about yourself. Never let anyone say you can't do something relative to you participating. You need to participate one hundred percent. So don't be a passive no. patient. Maybe, maybe at times you might have to be. But on the whole, no, you need to be, you don't need to be, take that back because that's, you know, that's that perfectionist language. But it's nice to have an option. Yeah, yeah you've got the option to get yourself involved and yeah. be part of your your. Yeah. But you can hear it in my language because that's where I've come from. You yeah. know, I, I need to front up. I need to be there on game day. I need to, you know, I need, yeah. I need to be there. I need to, I need to make that tackle. Mm. And this is what happens. You know, it gets into your language. It gets into how you see things. But, okay. But it's more about having an option. Keep your options open. Never say never. Like I never say never to the drug. Okay. And and I never say you know I'll always be open to something that's going to help my body. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes I need help. And that happened with the drug. The drug helped me. It put me in a better position. It helped me to function. Yes. It seems to me that 
I guess it's double-sided sword, isn't it? Yeah. Like everything, your 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 football background has sort of fed into the perfectionist dri drivenness, That's right. but it also has given you the strength to to play this very difficult game of dealing with melanoma. I think I, I truly, I've got no doubt about that. Mm. But, but what we have to do is, for me personally, is I just have to uh, make sure that I'm playing the game, but I'm playing the game with the right intention and mm. the right energy. And I call them drivers. Mm. So my driver is, I just want to be healthy. I want to look after myself. I want to love the people that I want to love. Um, I want to care for people that I want to, want to care for. I want to share my information and and help people to you know gather momentum if they need that. And I think that's that's it. That's my life. And whether I do it showing someone an exercise or whether I do it just talking to someone about you know eating lemons, it's that's my goal. You know. Now I might it mightn't be as clean and happy. As that, you know, there might well, be issues. Well, and helping people will get through anything difficult. I mean, you were certainly a very valuable friend to me when I was going through my yoga assessments. You really helped me stay level-headed and stay yeah. on track with those. Well, it, it all comes back to some simple things, and we've discussed those. But, you know, that ability to be able to, I think, have a relationship with yourself which is healthy under all sorts of circumstances, it gets you through. Gets you through life, really, doesn't it? That it, seems well, it, to be what life's all about. Well, totally, because if you're going down that pathway of just being very judgmental about yourself, self-criticism, all that type of thing, you're not leaving yourself a lot of energy for other options because the whole time you're just focused on all the things that you're not supposed to really focus on. And guess what? I mean, any self-respecting, self-development person will tell you the more you focus on what you don't want, you, that's what you get. See, that's the other thing with me is because I... You know, I know this sounds funny, but I've loved, you know, learning about the body and, you know, learning about how to use food. I've actually loved, loved it, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to love it too much um, relative to what's going on inside me. I've got to be able to let that go as well. So there's a, it's a total balance, but, it, but the more you go through it and the more you understand it, like when I come to a fork in the road now, it's not like, I mean, there is some anxiety there, but, but I'm also philosophical. And I think, okay, well, I've realised that, you know, it's not all going to end in five minutes. You know, I don't look like I'm going to keel over. But what I need to do is I need to be able to settle down, make a decision. That's why I'm taking time to make this decision. About whether you take the next drug. Exactly, because I want to go in. I'm going in like, yeah, okay, I've got that organised. I know what I'm going to do here. I'll take the drug, but I'm going to focus on this and... It's fantastic, and that's another thing that I really respect about you, and it's another football analogy, but you've got the ability to lift when the game is on the line. You know, you don't get knocked over by bad news. We all have, and this is the key. Th th that is a key thing too, is that we all have the ability to draw up from where things look seemingly hopeless. All got it. It's just a matter of whether you want to do it. Okay. Simple. <laughs> it's not that simple. I no, that I don't think it's that simple. <laughs> because, you know, I've seen people who can't do that. Well, they, people they have... prefer to live in denial. And... Well, that's, well, that comes back to the awareness. And I think whatever you're doing, if, you, if you're always building towards getting an idea of where you're coming from, you know, you'll be able to find things to draw on. And I think 
I, look, I've, I've spoken to a, a, many people and also been in contact through other people about people who are dealing with metabolic issues. Some people just aren't willing to change. It's not worth it. And I, I totally respect that. I, mm. I, could, I can see that clearly. Mm. And a lot of people, and some people also, you know, go to a lot of trouble to change and they make their life unhappy to do juicing and all that sort of stuff and they die anyway. Well. And then people think, well, was that worth it? Yes, because what you're doing is you're doing, I always think of it this way. I, I made a decision to honour my life. I was given a life. I don't think I really treated it that well. But I, I now make a decision to honour that life and I'll do whatever I can to do that. And if that's eating, you know, the way that I eat or it's um, not making choices and going to the bakery and getting a Nanny's chart, well, that's what it is. And I feel good about that. So, but that's me. That's what I'm doing, you know. I mean, people can go, okay, well... Well, there's a story about, I think they made a movie out of it, this young, this woman in America, she got cancer and she decided, oh, I'm going on a world tour, took the credit card, ran it up, guess what? The cancer went. <laughs> She's left with a big bill. That's a bummer. <laughs> That's a big bummer. So, but I haven't done that yet, but I, there could be an option, you know. Anyway. Yeah, that's an option. That's something to look forward to, well, maxing out the credit card. Yeah, just leave a big fat debt. <laughs> hope there's not any bankers out there that will do something to me. Okay, thanks very much, James. Thanks Thank for you, Linda. sharing your... I hope, I hope that um, gives you some insight into uh, the process. Yeah, what it's been like. And hopefully some inspiration for anyone else who's facing a similar situation. Thank you. Thank you.